Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yes! Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech executive producer of social media here at the iq and you know everyday creators are excelling they're thriving they are kicking behind on the youtube and we are fortunate enough to get a lot of those creators on this podcast to talk to you guys about their journeys and how they achieve success they talk about some of the pitfalls that they may have experienced along their journey and different things like that and today we have a very special guest, my friend D, who has the YouTube channel, The Healing Room ASMR. She is currently at 150,000 subscribers, and she is going to join us here in a moment talking about her journey and how she built up her ASMR channel to 150,000. And fun fact that I learned. Apparently, ASMR is one of the highest, if not the highest search term on YouTube, which kind of blows my mind. So we're going to get Dean here, talk about that, talk about how she's grown, what she's doing, her content strategy, and different things like that. So you know what? Let me quit yakking, and let's get D in here, and let's roll to the podcast. Welcome back to Tube Talk, presented by vidIQ. And this week, we have a very special guest, a YouTuber who is well over 100,000 subscribers doing ASMR content. Let us welcome D from the Healing Room ASMR to the podcast. Hey, D, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you, Viper? I am good. Thank you for making the time. I appreciate you. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm excited, too. So the first thing I have to ask you is what brought you to YouTube? I think like many people in 2019, I had a lot of time on my hands, <laughs> um, just with all that fun stuff going on. And I decided um, while I was taking walks outside that I was going to listen to a little uh, podcast on Spotify called Tube Talk. And I basically got very excited about this whole idea of starting a channel. And I decided to jump in two feet and just go for it. So. What you're telling me is that you started YouTube because you listened to this particular podcast. Yes. Ah. All part of my journey. It was definitely one of um, the first links in the chain that got me started. Um, I was listening to a lot of storytelling, a lot of those uh, podcasts on Spotify just for entertainment. And then I started thinking, is there something on, on the platform that has anything to do with YouTube and education? And I think it was Leron at the time. Yes. Yes. And he was the one I was listening to. And I still listened um, over the last couple of years. And it's just continual, mind-blowing education for me. Well, I definitely appreciate you listening to the podcast. And I'm pretty sure Leron would appreciate you as well. Yeah. So, before we get too deep into the woods, D, I got to know. I've always wondered, because I don't think I know. I don't think I've ever got a clear answer. But do you know what ASMR actually stands for? Or does it stand for anything? 
It absolutely does. So ASMR, it's an acronym for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. So it's just a fancy way. Yeah, it's a fancy acronym to say it's the feeling, the sensation you get um, neurologically and physically whenever you are relaxed by a sound or by a voice, by um, even visuals that might relax you can induce something called ASMR, which is an entire niche, an entire platform, just to put that into perspective, we get 20 point, or no, it's 40.3 billion searches um, compared to, let's see, I have in front of me, I have the top searches in the world on YouTube. Number one is ASMR with 40.4 really? 40. million searches. Wow. And Mr. Beast is number two on that search engine list. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So Even he, more than yeah. Mr. Beast? Wow. No, so it's a very, very popular niche. There's lots of different variants of it, but it's a big one. Okay, so that is fascinating to me, but I'm even more fascinated to know, how do you decide to go into ASMR content? Absolutely. So for me, it was a passion for entertainment, a passion for acting and uh, cinematography and also helping people. So I was watching ASMR for quite some time. I found it very entertaining, very relaxing. And I think I just got to a point of watching it where I was like, you know what, I think I can do this. I think this is something worth trying because I like helping people and I certainly love on camera work and behind the scenes. So that's what started my journey. That is pretty awesome. And like I alluded to earlier, your channel now is well over 100,000 subscribers. I think right now you have 150,000 subscribers <laughs> on your channel. How long have you been on YouTube? I just celebrated three years. Three years. Wow. Yes. So 150K subscribers in three years. Well done. That is absolutely incredible. Yes, it's mind boggling. I still can't believe it. Like it was a couple years ago and I had just hit, I think, uh, 50, 50,000. And I thought that was the top for me. I didn't think it was going to get bigger than that. And it just it kind of exploded on its own. Yeah. So so let's talk about that. Obviously, again, you are well over 100,000 on YouTube. But when did you begin to realize that you were onto something special with your when you're with your uh, channel? When did it kind of start to take off for you? Mm -hmm. It's it, there wasn't any point where it just completely blew up. I know that some people's experience on the platform for me, it's been slow and steady. Um, and I say slow in quotations. For me, it's a little bit slow at times, but it's gone in strides. So for me, it's always been around a thousand subscribers a week between 700 to a thousand subscribers a week. It never really has gone exponentially bigger or smaller than that. So it's, it's kind of just going in it's, it's, it's strides. Mm. So 700 to a thousand subscribers a week. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it's so interesting, again, because ASMR content, you're 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 making sounds to relax people, but you're not really you're not you're not talking personally. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure you talk a little bit before you do get into the content, but it's like, all talking for me. So wait, it's all talking for you. Okay. Yeah. So what I focus on in my niche is a little bit more of an entertainment aspect to it. So there's it's almost like going to a spa or getting a haircut. It's a very relaxing experience, but we can take ASMR to an, another level and we can offer role plays and some funny skits so it's still entertainment but it's done in a relaxing way in a relaxing voice versus mainstream media that is a little bit quicker in pace a little bit loud in your face so there are lots of elements of asmr some channels are just simply making sounds and having nice visuals on camera but i would say majority is with someone on camera 
engaging with the viewer and it's your point of view the entire time. Okay, that's awesome. And I now um, coming back to me because I have seen some of your content and you are talking to the camera when you are doing your ASMR. I just find it fascinating that you found a way to incorporate role playing into your ASMR content. Yes. I think that kind of what kind of I think that what sets you apart from other ASMR outlets. Um, I'm not sure if they are too much involved with the role play aspect of it like you are. Yes, I love doing everything. Um, I, I wish I could do more of it, but I really do enjoy having a monologue or having some kind of entertainment value to the role play. Um, I have a whole bunch of content that's just like spa role plays, beauty role plays. Um, I have a world spa series, taking the viewer around the world from India, ancient Egypt, Greece, um, just incorporating a lot of ancient beauty rituals, so to speak, into a video to relax you and to entertain you. But then I have a whole other section of my channel, and that's kind of a, a sub-niche of ASMR, where I'll do a two to three part series almost, and I'll have characters involved. Um, I'll do set design, wardrobe, props. Wow. So it, it is a very well thought out process. It's not, it's not easy. <laughs> not easy. So with VidIQ, uh, we talk a lot about uh, honing down to like one niche or one role to kind of grow your audience. But you just said you have different sections of your channel where you do different types of ASMR and different things like that. Now, I have noticed a common denominator a little bit with your content, but I'll get into that in a moment. But you do, it seems like on your channel, you do engage in various types of ASMR. Mm -hmm. So how have you been able to maintain your channel growth when you are doing the various types of ASMR and you're not really locked into one like theme of ASMR or something particular mm -hmm. it can be tricky because when you start branching out a little bit too far that's when you can start getting number issues where your, your audience isn't happy anymore they're like well this isn't for me they kind of want the repetition of the same kind of role play or the same kind of treatment in every single video but i think i've worked over the last three years to have enough audience in both sections of asmr so i have my audience who really enjoys those role plays and then I have my audience who just enjoys the spas and the beauty and all that kind of stuff. And I can kind of gauge who's watching what based on my my uh, data. But overall, I think I have a core audience that will watch either. And it was it really was a risk. It was a, a risk for me to try that. I find it very interesting that you just said that you have a core audience who will watch either type of content that you make. And I feel like that's very important when creators are thinking about branching off into different sub niches of the, the, the main topic that they're doing, mm -hmm. because if you don't have that common denominator, then you, like you said, you could potentially fragment your audience, but you have done an excellent job of not fragmenting your audience. You have found a way to do different types of ASMR, but you do it in such a way that there's a common bond between all of it. And it keeps the same people coming back, whether they like the role-playing aspect or just the regular parts of the ASMR. So that, I think that's very important to highlight. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of polls on my audience, um, my community boards for my audience. I make sure that I, I gauge the majority each time I, I put a video out. If I'm if I'm going to be switching things up, switching gears, I'll I'll go onto my community board. I'll put a poll up. I'll get ten to fifteen thousand votes and say, okay, you know what? Majority is saying they want me to branch out. Majority is saying they really enjoyed this. And I'll premiere it and I'll ask people in the live stream in the pre premiere. I'll say is this something you're enjoying? I'll put little polls up, I'll ask questions, I'll engage with them. So nothing, yes, it starts off as a risk, it starts off as a little guessing game. But as I go, I start to understand people's mentality a little bit and their emotional connection to things. And then I think I can predict what will do well. 
Okay, so here's the thing. Like, I love the fact that you are polling your audience and you're using your community tab to get that data. The only thing that I can say or caution with that is the people that respond on those polls will only be a small subset of the totality of the people that are watching your channel. So when you are taking those polls, are you also going back into your backend analytics and seeing what the totality of the data is telling you before you make major decisions? Oh, absolutely. If you're not going into your your data, then you're missing out on all the cues and all the clues. Mm -hmm. That's where it is. So I can only do so much as far as engaging the audience, putting polls out there, asking the questions. But at the end of the day, I have to look at what the video tells me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about data a lot. And I would be remiss, D, if I did not ask you about the impact that vidIQ has had, because I know that you have uh, you've been rocking with vidIQ for a while now, whether it be uh, watching our content or engaging with our coaches and different things like that. So talk about a little bit how vidIQ has helped you grow your channel. Yeah, vidIQ is the brain for me behind most of my my titles, my thumbnails, uh, my education, everything behind the scenes of the creativity, just really understanding the platform has been through vidIQ and through this podcast. Um, YouTube is an entire ecosystem. It's an entire world, right? And if we're just coasting and guessing and just taking risks all the time and not having any kind of education, then I feel like we are missing out on entire opportunities. So for me, this is where I get all my my brain power for my titles and my my thumbnails. Mm. Now, we obviously we have a few tools out there to help with titles and thumbnails. So I'm guessing mm -hmm. you're using things like the daily ideas and the keyword inspector and stuff like that. And the AI, I really enjoy the that. AI. Ooh, I have been using that lately. So it's kind of taking things to another level for me. It's allowing me to not put as much work in mentally and just allowing the computer to say, okay, this is what's going to do well on your channel based on all the data and algorithms that we have. Try doing this next time. Try doing this scenario or this title or this concept and it works for me it works yeah it's funny because i remember the, the comment that you made about our ai coach not so long ago on twitter you had tweeted out about how <laughs> you didn't you felt like the ai coach would oh. uh it wasn't being empathetic and uh, empathetic enough or empathetic i think the word i'm looking it for it was enough. so straight up viper it was just like it said <laughs> it was like the healing room has a very modest but respectful right. audience. And I'm like, what does it mean? What do you mean modest? I have 150,000 subscribers in like the highest perform like the highest com competition niche. And you're saying it's it's respectable but modest. So I was kind of laughing at that. I was like, oh goodness. AI has no compassion. Yeah, AI AI is just it, it tells you straight up what, what it is that it finds and things like that. Obviously, uh, we would prefer to be a little bit more empathetic uh, to creators. And I did take that feedback to the team and everything like that. But uh, yeah, the computer is not going to lie to you. The computer is going to tell you what it is. And I think that's what AI in general, right? If you want to be uh, sugar-coated and cupcaked, then you can go to, to an actual person. But AI is not going to do that. AI is going to be real, raw, and give you the data that it feels like you need to succeed. And I think uh, our AI program, our AI coach in particular, does a good job at that, uh, as you can attest to. So, mm -hmm, cool. Absolutely. All right, ASMR, man. Is, do you know, like, do you have other creators that are in the ASMR niche that are doing anything like similar to what you're doing? Because I feel like it's just such, to me, I don't know. It, it's interesting that you say that it's the most searched thing on YouTube, which blows my mind. I would have never thought that ASMR would be like the most searched topic on YouTube, but 
how many how many like ASMR creators are there? Like, is, are you guys a big community or massive community? Mm. Massive. It's a it's a massive community. But like anything new to people, it can get a little weird, and and they're unsure of it. So I'm I'm sure not everyone is familiar with it. There are elements in especially in different countries, like uh, Japan, for example. Their ASMR is more food based. It's more about eating on camera and. It just gets a little strange in some niches, but for me and a good majority of creators, we like to do the entertainment, the role plays, um, just really being on camera and having our personalities also shine through. Right, right. Yeah, it's a I, very big, big niche though, no doubt. Yeah, I, I find it pretty awesome that you you are upfront and wanting to be on camera with your content because I'm pretty sure that there are ASMR channels out there that are not, they're not on camera, they're, they're faceless and ASMR content seems to be the type of content to me that you can have a successful face in this channel if you want to do that. But Dean's like, no, nah, I'm putting my face on camera. I'm showing you're seeing my face. And I think it's going to be, I don't know, I'd rather be on camera connecting with people. I think that it brings a whole level of personality and, and vulnerability. Being on camera and comforting people or being in a fun role play, a fun skit. I think you need to have that connection with the creator in this niche. Sometimes if you're just looking for background ASMR where you can study or you can have it playing um, while you game, I know a lot of people do that, then you might not need that face. Um, but for my audience, I know that they like to connect with me and physically see me on camera. Absolutely. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by the vidIQ mobile app. You can download it for free on the Android or iOS app stores. And it's here to help you do things like keep track of your competition, research your next video idea, optimize videos you've already posted, and more, all on the go. This is the perfect app to have literally in your back pocket while you're out and about and you find yourself with a few free extra minutes. Having the opportunity to sit down and optimize your latest video or research ideas for your upcoming video can be a game changer and save you a bunch of time as you work to create more YouTube content. Again, you can download the vidIQ mobile app for free on Android or iOS. Just search for vidIQ. So, I did do my homework before this podcast, as I usually do when people that come on here, and I saw something very interesting on your channel. Right now, the right now, right, right now, you are running a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week live stream on your channel. So I, I'm just curious, like, what what's the objective with this? Like, what are you trying to do with the 24/7 live? Like, what? How did, oh that, how did that come about? Like, what's going on there? Viper, let's jump into this because yeah, I'm going jump. mental. I am going mental right now. I'm trying <laughs> everything. I went to Vid Summit in Texas. I flew from Canada to that last month, and I really my brain got rocked. <laughs> oh, all yeah. these concepts and this these growth. Um, conversations where people are having these growth conversations about going live, um, all these different things. And I'm like, you know what? Let me try everything. You know, I'm, I'm literally in the process of trying everything. So one of the things I'm trying right now is a 24 seven live stream. So a lot of music channels do this where they have their music playing. You go online, you see live stream happening 24 seven, 24 seven. It's a loop like 12 hours being looped over and over again. And I'm, I'm curious, I want to see, will this allow my content to localize better? Will it have a, a greater reach? Will my watch time spike? Will my subscribers increase? So this is completely new for me. I'm really trying a whole bunch of things right now. Um, 
because I, I'm at that point where I'm like, I've been doing this for three years and I want to dive in further and go deeper and I want to pivot, right? So if I continue doing what I'm doing, it's good and well. I'm not going to have any surprises. It's probably going to stay the same for views and watch time. But if I take some risks, maybe I'll grow further and I'll get like, for example, I tried something recently and I, I spoke about this at Fit Summit with some creators. Six months ago, I put up of compilation three hours that was my compilation i was taking some time off i was like you know what? i'm gonna go do some other things i'm just gonna put a compilation up today let me tell you that completely changed my life mm. changed my whole my whole channel my whole career it gave me a new audience and it made my current audience happy <laughs> so all of a sudden i'm posting new videos every week I do have this live stream on right now, which I don't have the data because it's been six days. Um, but I do have the data for my videos that are three hours plus, which has brought my watch time to an hour and 26 minute average. Ooh, wow. Like, let's talk about it. So all of a sudden I have this, okay, maybe I get 50,000 to 80,000 views on a video typically. Wonderful. But what if I put a compilation of all the videos that died once upon a time, like in, in 2020, videos that were good, like good content that just didn't have an audience at the time. So I went and I resurrected them from their graves and I put them into a compilation, took me 25 minutes, literally 25 minutes. And all those videos that received like pretty minimal revenue all of a sudden are bringing in thousands each. Mm. Mm -hmm. So this isn't a good, uh, this isn't a good time to revisit the whole, uh, updating your old videos or just re-releasing your older videos type deal. I mean, we got Taylor Quip doing it out here right now, re-releasing or re-recording her old record to get ownership and different things like that. And I've told you before, creators, you can do the same exact thing. If you have a video that you've done in the past and there's some information that could be updated or the video can be re uh, remade, go out there and remake it. You, you like, like Dee said, you never know if, if, if it might find a new audience or it just might do better the second time around. You just don't know. But you definitely have the option to go out there and remake your older content or reuse content that's already been put out there. So don't be afraid. Absolutely. Because, I mean, YouTube is an ever-growing platform. It's continually changing. So if we're just repeating the same things, then, you know, how are we going to ever find out? So I haven't changed my videos, but I certainly have changed my approach. And I think people need to start getting outside of that concept of I, I'm doing everything the same. So why isn't my video performing well? Well, maybe it's because you're doing everything the same. You know, like your yeah. videos very well may be good, but are you learning what's going on? And are you looking around? Also having self-awareness. Like there are creators that are popping up every single day that are way more creative than I am, that are way more um, skilled at cinematography and thumbnails and storytelling. And I'm like, you know what? If I just stayed close to my content and I didn't search and look around me in trends, yes, but also in other ways too, um, and just understanding what people are resonating with right now, that completely changes things for me because I'm not staying so close to my work that I'm like, well, it did well once upon a time two years ago. But look at look what's around you now. There's so much more. I am so glad you brought this up because if you want to be a successful creator on YouTube, you have to be constantly adapting, constantly evolving and getting better. You can't stay stagnant in our space. And to your point, there are so many new creators coming into the space every day. They're very talented and they're going to push the envelope. They're going to push the boundaries. So if you are not willing 
to push that envelope and push those boundaries, you're going to get left behind. So you got to be constantly evolving as a creator. Um, you don't get to become a Mr. Beast or a Casey Neistat or Marquette Brownlee or an I Justine by doing the same thing over and over again. That's the literal definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different outcome. It does not work. So you have to be willing to constantly evolve and grow uh, with the things that are happening in your niche and on the platform. Absolutely. You said it. And oh, this quote was so good. It was it's by Henry Ford. It says, the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. Mm. Sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. And if we're not learning, we're not winning. That is correct. Mm -hmm. So I am curious. Again, right now you are sitting at 150K subscribers on YouTube. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to reach 100K? Mm -hmm. Two years. Two years. Wow. Mm -hmm. I was monetized fast. I was monetized in uh, six, eight, eight weeks. I was monetized. Eight weeks? I was. It was like a very, uh, goodness, it was a reality check for me. I thought this was something that would take months and months and months. So I was working another job. I won't get into it, but I could have quit my job four months in. I could have. I could have done this full time, but I did wait so I can make an educated decision and say, okay, this is sustainable. This is something that will last. And then I decided a year ago to make this a full-time job. I sold my company and I built a studio in the basement kind of thing. And now I'm, I'm working like this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, time out, time out. Wait a minute. Did I just hit this right? You sold your company. So you had a company that you were building and you sold it to do YouTube full-time. I did. I had no joy in it anymore. Wow. You know, when you just feel like you've been working your whole life towards something and then it's just not what you want. And right. then you finally find something where you're like, okay, this isn't just a job. This is a calling for me. This is yeah. something that I'm meant to do. It just sinks in different. It just hits yeah. something different. So I really wanted to explore this and do it right. Hence why I studied so long before I started a channel. Okay. I think I want to go back and I think that's very important because there are a lot of people out there that are thinking about quitting their job to do YouTube full time. Yeah. But how long did you wait before you made that jump? Because like you just said, you didn't do it immediately. I think you said you waited a year or so. Yeah. Cause how can you, I mean, there are some people who have that ability just to jump in and, and, and that's great. All power to them. I need numbers. <laughs> I need, I need numbers. I need to know what's going Hold on. Look at it like this YouTube, right? Everyone wants to become a YouTuber. <laughs> like who doesn't right. and YouTube kind of does what a television show does. They give you an opportunity to have your own channel, to have your own audience and to be full time. Mm -hmm. Bam. That sounds amazing. Yes, please. <laughs> but it's so much more than that. It's like any job. So we don't get to go to school for this. There's no that I'm aware of. There's no YouTube um, university where you go get a diploma and you get a YouTube job and all your YouTube buddies work together. <laughs> right. Imagine. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> But what they do offer everyone is the same playing field. They say, okay, you want a channel. I'm going to take away the casting director. I'm going to take away the casting agents. I'm going to take away the producers. I'm going to take away the writers. In fact, I'm going to take away everything. And I'm going to give you an opportunity all by yourself. And you can start a channel. But what happens to people? They fail. They burn out. <laughs> Nothing happens. They put out content that's actually decent, but nothing happens. It's because there's a whole education to it. <laughs> and people forget that because they get too excited and impulsive. So I didn't want to make that error because I have been in that position before where I'm excited about something and I, I jump in too fast. 
and then it just crashes and burns. So I spent a hefty amount of time before I made any impulsive decision. I didn't put out any content I wasn't proud of. And let's right. let's go further into that. People are going on camera for the most part. Their face is on camera. Right. So they think, well, I really enjoy doing this. I'm really passionate about this. I'm sure there's an audience who will love this. And they have no camera presence. Ooh. And they have no they have no idea what they're doing. Because that casting agent isn't isn't the one who's bringing you in anymore. Right. You're not auditioning for these things anymore. This is the future of media. All of a sudden, we're our own people. We don't have that middle man. We show up and we're like, I'm here for hair and makeup and I'm doing it myself. Right. I'm here for the set design. I'm here for the lighting. I'm here for the writing. I'm here for the camera. I'm here for editing. I'm here for writing everything. It's all one person. So you either hire a ton of people or you learn. You learn really fast. That is the thing about YouTube. Like you said, you will learn very, very quickly. If you want to be successful, you will learn what it takes to make it on a platform or you won't make it. There are so many creators that tried it that don't make it, but then there's a lot of creators that do make it. And a lot of that comes down to want and effort and being willing to put in the time, the work, the grind. I talk about it constantly on the live streams and the podcast grind. Like everybody's looking for a shortcut, a magic pill, but it doesn't exist. The people that go viral overnight are probably not doing it overnight. They've probably done things years in the background that you don't even know about before they went viral or they have a skill set that allowed them to go viral or whatever the case may be. There are a set of variables that we don't know that contributed to their success. But most of us, normal folk, got to come on here and learn and grow. Like the best professional athletes don't get in their prime until five or 10 years into their career. So you have to be willing to put the time into growing as a content creator. Otherwise, you might, you're not going to see success. It's just, it's mm -hmm. not going to happen overnight for 99% of us. It's just not. No, it's, it's a long journey. And I find that yep. there's way more. Oh man, there's way more satisfaction in that, isn't it? Like, it's not an overnight success for most of us. It's not. No, definitely. So I want to talk about your content strategy. So we know you got the 24 7 live stream going on over there, chilling. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think you have many. I don't really know if you have any other live streams. I think I thought maybe one or two actual other live streams on the channel. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're doing any YouTube shorts. So no. you know that YouTube shorts seem to be the thing that YouTube is really pushing heavily. But you're like, I'm not doing that. No. So what has your experience been with YouTube shorts? I listened to all those podcasts about YouTube shorts. I really did. And I, I had to wrestle with it. Sometimes I listen to things and I, I just go for it. But I didn't agree with it. I think they're going to die. <laughs> wow. You think YouTube shorts are going to die, huh? Okay. I think they're going to die. I think they're going to ruin, like, ruin a lot of channels, unfortunately. Uh, my content is all long form. So if I'm going to bring in people who are here for the long form content and long form hours, I don't want short attention spans. Mm. Oh! Oh! Yeah. If oh, and say amen. Y'all can say out just. Oh, oh, I need you to repeat that for the people in the back. That was a banger. Woo! It's true. And you know what? I, I had to I had to wrestle with it because I was like, well, everyone's doing it. And I certainly don't want to miss out on something. And I, I just said, you know what? Forget it. Forget shorts. Did y'all hear what she said? Let me repeat that for y'all that did not understand or heard what she said. She said her content is long form. And she does not want people with a, a short attention span. Oh, oh my God. I, you know, it's funny because a lot of creators don't have the level of self-awareness that you do. They see shorts as a quick way to explode their channels. And even if it doesn't make sense, they're still trying to do it. But you're like, no, I don't want that audience. That audience is not for me. So I'm not going to do that. 
And just, just to have that level of self-awareness is probably why you are at the level of success that you are, because you understand what your audience wants and needs from you. And that's what you're going to provide. I, I love it. Oh, yeah. I love it. That's it. I don't need a million people. I just need the right people. And mm. I, think, I certainly think I have them. And it matters to me. I don't want to create short little bites of entertainment that people are going to forget about. I want people who are invested in this. I'm invested in this. So I, I, re I really resonate with my audience because they're there for the long term and the long views. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Wow. I just, whew. I love that. I love that so much. Like one of the biggest things to being a successful creator on YouTube is understanding your audience. And it seems to me that you have a very good understanding of what your audience wants and needs from you. And as long as you can maintain it, I think the sky is the limit for you. That That is incredible. Yes. Thank you. I don't <laughs> Wow, I'm, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. I mean, I've had so many people on this podcast, but just to hear you say that and just have that level of awareness about what you can and can't and shouldn't do. Um, but I am curious though, have you, did you ever try to do any YouTube shorts on your channel at all? Or you're just avoiding it entirely? I did a couple. So I, I do have more lives on there. I just unlisted them. Oh, but, okay. Because I've done about 15 lives. Okay. Um, but for the shorts, I think I did two and that was enough data for me. Wow, you're like too short. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, no, seriously. They have TikTok. They have the other things. <laughs> she said if you want short form content, take your behind to TikTok. <laughs> I'll, stay, I'll stay here. Thank you. I love it. She said, go to TikTok. Yo, I don't need you here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's this it. is great. That's it. I can oh, keep going, honestly. Oh, I, I love this stuff, you know? I, I really do. It, to me, it's all a learning curve. And if it works, it works. But I don't stick around long unless it, unless it works. I know that's right. So knowing what you know now, three years into your YouTube journey, what is something that you know now that you wish you would have known when you first started? Oh, my goodness. See, this is a question that I don't think people can answer correctly anymore because if I were to start three years ago, it had been a different platform. So if we're talking about this platform, I would say AI, right? But that didn't exist three years ago. Right. And if we're looking at my content and my experience, I would say um, don't burn out because I burned out quite a bit. I did two videos a week on my, my main channel. I do have another. And I would do one on the other channel and then I would have one on Patreon as well. So I was filming about three to four videos a week and that was complete burnout. That was a recipe for disaster, but I knew it wasn't long-term. I did the work, I grinded, did what I had to do, hustled, and then I realized, okay, I can scale back a little bit. The views are still going to come in even if I don't shoot all these videos out. But it did help me get to this level of being comfortable on camera and understanding the platform. Hadn't I done that, I don't, I don't know if I would understand the platform as well. So I don't think I would change anything. I would tell myself to go into greater details with what I'm going to be doing on camera before doing it. It did save me a lot of time once I learned that process. Kind of like a template. I have a template for everything I do now. I do storyboard ahead of time. I do my set designs ahead of time. And I don't do things all at once. So I'm not going to do my set, my lighting, my writing, and my acting all at once. Right. I'm going to separate it each day and treat it like a work day and separate myself a little bit. So that's definitely something I've learned over a three year period. 
that that is awesome. Uh, breaking things up into little sections to make it easier to do it and not trying to do it all in one day. I like that. That's pretty yeah. cool. All right. I want to go back to you being a full time YouTuber because that's not a decision that one makes lightly. One has to have a plan to replace the income that they're losing when they go full time. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about your 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 revenue stream, how you make money. Obviously, you have YouTube ads and different things like that. But what are some other ways that you are bringing in revenue? Okay, so I make YouTube ads on both my channels, but this one we're speaking about is my highest paid. Okay. I make a lot of money from ads. And then I have sponsorships. Okay. I have um, different tipping services like Coffee and PayPal. Right. And then I have um, Patreon. Definitely would suggest that to people who haven't explored Patreon yet. It is a really good way to get to know your audience and the people who are serious about you will show up there. And yeah, I think that's about it. So are you in a situation where you're reaching out to brands to sponsor you or do you have brands like emailing you trying to get on your channel? I have four agencies that I work with. Four. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I have, they're all over the world. So they allow, isn't this the beauty about YouTube and about being a content creator online like this? Like they come to me, thankfully, I don't know how to approach brands as well as I should. And the agency is kind of the middleman who will offer me the deal, ask me my rate, and then give me a brief. So I typically work with four different agencies across the world, and I and that's how I I use um, my platform for brands. I do want to explore merchandise soon. Um, I also have an agent who does my Spotify and my Apple Music, so I can be on there because I'm an audio um, service as well. So there, I think, being a successful. YouTuber is also um, figuring out other ways of revenue, different streams that lead to the ocean, so to speak. So YouTube is the ocean and all these other things are streams that either come to YouTube or come out of YouTube. So for me, YouTube is my ocean and Patreon is a stream. Um, Tips are a stream. I have a gifting thing called Thrones. That's another stream and Spotify and Apple Music. So I'm constantly getting different revenue throughout. So you are making revenue through your Spotify and Apple stuff too. Yeah. Nice. I, nice. I don't have to do anything for that. Nice. Completely reuse content. That is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So D, do you have any advice for any up and coming creators that are trying to get started that are trying to maybe uh, one day be in your position and make YouTube their full-time gig? I would say it depends on if you have a channel right now, or if you don't, if you don't have a YouTube channel, Don't just jump in. I know people say it all the time. People who are more successful than I am, they say, just press record. Don't. (laughs) In my opinion, don't. Not right now. Not how YouTube is right now. Not with the competition that's out there right now. Take your time. This is a big opportunity for you. And this is a big platform. It has big options. So I would take that time, learn the platform, learn the behind the scenes, what it's going to cost you, because if you want to be successful, it's going to cost you something. Mm-hmm. That's your time. That might be your family. It might be your friends. Mm. Consider the costs, weigh them. Also financially, it costs money. Yes. <laughs> it costs money. So think about it. Once you have your, okay, this is the forecast, my financial forecast. This is what it's going to cost me, you know, really and metaphorically. Then go further and say, okay, well, I can I can do two videos a week. I can do one video a week. But let me go further into what does it take to have a successful YouTube channel? Just the groundwork. And then build it like build it like a building, the foundation, 
and work your way up. You don't have to jump in and skyrocket all, all the way up. If you are not a new channel and you're kind of coasting, my advice is learn the art of pivoting. You know that Friends episode, pivot, pivot. <laughs> don't just stay stagnant. Find something that works. If your stuff isn't working, it's not going to work in five years. It's not likely it's not going to work if you're not doing it right right now. So mm. that might be a niche switch. It might be a new channel. Sometimes the content you have is really good, but it's just not picking up because your audience isn't picking it up. The, the algorithm isn't going to send it to anybody unless your audience is watching. So I think people need to be aware of that too. That sometimes your content is decent. It's actually pretty good, but you don't have an audience and you're not going to get an audience until you start something fresh. That is awesome. Uh, <laughs> pivot. Be aware. Like you said, if something's not working, be able and willing to push to something different. Like I said earlier, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and <laughs> affecting a different result. It doesn't work that way. So if you want a different result, you got to do different things for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And also camera presence. I, I mean... I love that people want to be on this platform and want to learn the skill, but it is a skill. It requires it requires you to know what you're doing on camera and what you're doing off camera. I mean, can you imagine being a successful net like a successful channel on on Netflix? It you know how you know it's successful? The views, <laughs> the views it gets, um, and you're not going to get those views unless you know what you're doing. So pretend this is Netflix. Pretend you are the star of your show. How good right. is it? You know, how good is your show? Is it is it decent? Is it boring? Is it, you know, stale? Has it been done a million times? Look at it like a Netflix show. Look at it like you're auditioning and this is your audience and you're going to be the next big star or not. So it's up to you. You have to do the work. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into that because when you talk about camera presence, camera presence means different things to different people because they're vibrant mm -hmm. camera presence which is much different from the camera presence. So in your opinion, how does one go about developing their camera presence? Oh, my friend, I'm going to one day write a book on this. One day I'm going to do a class Ooh on it. Oh, I, could, go. I could go, I could go. But let me say, my camera presence is not going to be the same as yours. Right. Because my audience is different and my typecast is different. Mm. So that's a fun word, typecast. So if you go into an audition room and some you're auditioning for something, you're going to get typecasted. In, an, in an, another word, it's profiled. Right. Um, so I'm going to get typecasted into a different role than you are. You should know, though, what your typecast is and what people are sensing on camera with you. Can they connect to you? Why or why not? Understand the psychology of your viewers and understand the role you're taking because it's a role, whether it's you or not, whether it's a, a personality or your authentic self. It is absolutely based on what your audience is seeing and what you're offering them. So let's say, for example, you're a tech, you're a tech guy. Mm -hmm. Are you trustworthy? I don't know. <laughs> are you trustworthy? Do you, does your audience sense your professionalism or are you fun? Like, look at your data. What's your demographics? What's the age? What's the country? Right. If you're if you're dealing with 13 year olds to 18 year olds. You don't have to be a professional in a, in a suit and a tie. No, not no. Quite. But if you are reaching like a motivational speech audience where they're like, okay, I want, I want that guy who can, you know, he's built and he's, he's kind of got this vibe about him. He's suave. He's smooth. That's something you might want to play into. 
know your strengths, know your competitive edge. And camera presence is that. Yeah, you talked a lot about the audience, but I think another part of it also is knowing you and knowing what you bring to the table and what type of personality you have. Because ultimately, your camera presence comes down to how comfortable you are with yourself. And this is something that a lot of creators in the beginning have to battle. How comfortable are they with themselves to present themselves on camera? Absolutely. Confidence is such a huge thing. Yeah. And confidence comes from knowing, right? Yep. If you're a confident person, it's because you know you have something to offer. You know your skills, you know your strengths. Yeah. So of course you're coming into YouTube and you're kind of nervous and, and kind of shaky like I am right now being on this podcast. Um, but that's okay. That's something that goes away over time. It does. It's something that you know, practice does help. But I would even go further and say practice does not make perfect. Okay. It does not make perfect. But learning and skills, learning these skills will help you to become perfect, quote unquote, perfect. So what's the thing that could get you further into this whole realm of being on camera and being comfortable and knowing the art of this? Take a class. Mm. Why not? Why not have a further advantage on this platform take a class get yeah. on camera so i've done camera work before and one thing i never realized this was so frustrating it's kind of like those cringe moments i don't know if you listen to yourself on a tape or what on, on a recording and you're like oh, yeah. oh, that voice just ugh. sometimes i get that cringe factor so i i went to a class before and <laughs> the person who was teaching the class did the most uncomfortable thing for me which was not say anything on camera for three minutes let me tell you it's uncomfortable to see yourself nervous but it takes away this like this vibe of the camera is my enemy it's 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 on me you know it's like it feels like it's on my skin <laughs> just get comfortable with it you know just let it be there it's like a friend and then we would do exercises truth exercises talking to the camera and saying things in truth there were little twitches that I made when I was nervous on my face. There was these expressions I would do that were just over the top and just, yeah, yuck. And I learned them. I learned that I have to have control over my expression, that people are always reading your face. Even when you're not speaking, the subtext that you're emitting, the yep. posture, there are so many elements of being on camera that we're unaware of that make you the it factor or not some people just have that ability yeah body it's language is huge yes body language is huge they show up they're ready they're they're completely self-aware they're con confident and they're comfortable i wasn't that person i needed some guidance so i took classes i hope y'all listening very closely to what she's putting out here because she's putting out absolute knowledge although i don't know what she's talking about when she says she's shaky on the podcast i don't know i don't i don't get that from you at all you're not shaky you're you're excellent but Thanks. The stuff that you're throwing out here for my listeners today, I appreciate because this is stuff that I've said at one point or another throughout the two years I've been hosting the podcast. So I love that you are here providing this value because, you know, it's one thing for Viper to tell them, but it's another thing for a person that's out there with over 100,000 subscribers out here on here telling them what you did to get to that level and what you will continue to do. And I appreciate and thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. D, Miss Healing Room ASMR. It's been amazing having you on the podcast. Yay. You know, if the people want more of you, where should they go to find more of you? You can find me on YouTube at the Healing Room ASMR. Um, you can also find me on Twitter or X and Instagram, Healing Room ASMR. 
And one day I will have more of this uh, topic in a book or some kind of coaching thing. But that's where you'll find me for my channel. <laughs> you let me know when that book comes. I'm about to buy that. <laughs> yeah, you got it. One more question before we go. How did you come up with the name Healing Room ASMR? Yeah, long story. No, I just, I really just wanted, I had one set in my basement. It was one room. And I was like, well, this is a place people can relax to and feel healed at the end of the day. So I'm going to call it the Healing Room. Ta-da. Good name. Good name. Yeah. I appreciate you guys listening to this episode. You know your boy Viper will be back next week with another episode of Tube Talk presented by Vid IQ. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by VidIQ. Head over to vidiq.com slash tube talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.